You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessing will be upon you all. Welcome once again here in Dive Time Show of Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to Aniko Rahman. And I have another co-presenter within the studio, Usman Ali Anjum. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Peace be upon you as well. Indeed, uh, we are back with... Uh, uh, another topic, as uh, we do on a regular basis uh, in the Drive Time Show, we cover two particular topics. Uh, one in the first hour and the second will be in the second hour. We will be having some guests as well during this session who will be giving uh, insight on, the, on those particular topics. And you can also call us to share your views on those topics. And uh, you can call us on 208 Six eight seven seven eight seven eight, and you can tweet at Voice of Islam UK and visit our website www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Moving on, Usman, uh, to our first uh, topic, I think it's again related to somehow NHS, and I think it's very important topic, and I think it's not normally covered. You know, by uh, other social platform, which is, you know, dentistry crisis. What do you say about it? Of course. So I think today we're just going to be looking at whether there's a fund- fundamental reform needed, yeah. um, especially to in- improve the access. Um, it's actually a, a key component of your overall health and well-being. Hmm. It's often overlooked. Uh, I can personally vouch for this as well. I've experienced some difficulties getting hold of an NHS uh, dentist as well, especially in COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I had two fillings which needed to be done mm. and I myself had to go private as well um, Indeed, uh, I think there's so much to say on it I think I have something to say as well which I will hopefully mention in, in, within, the, <laughs> within the show You know, just to uh, just for the introduction you know, dental care um, is an essential component of our overall health and well-being as Usman mentioned and however you know access to quality dental services is a growing concern in many countries and you know leading to dentistry crisis and especially this crisis is characterized by you know issues such a high costs limited availability and disparities in access all of which have significant implications for public health and you know in today's show we will uh, delve into the root causes of the dentistry crisis and explore the need for the fundamental reform to improve uh, the access a data you know commissioned by the liberal democrats found there are as many as 3000 people per nhs dentist in some english areas out of 104 local areas in england 65 have seen the number of people per dentist you know rise since 2019, the figures suggest. You know, good dental health is more than the absence of disease of tooth decay in in your mouth, says David Kennedy, DDS, and author of How to Save Your Teeth. So, this is something, again, as Usman was saying, is something, and I mentioned this, it's not something which is normal nowadays. I think it's very important and it's not been addressed properly. And that's why we have chosen this topic to discuss in depth and have some guests and take their views and have our, you know, if, if anybody wants to share their view, you can also call us on 0208-687-7878. Of course, and I think another uh, sort of component of this topic is, I guess, the, the viewers today will realise that 
Islam actually has a deep connection with cleanliness mm. and part of that cleanliness is, is of course brushing your teeth as well and looking after your oral hygiene as best as you can. Uh, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed, the second caliph of the MDM Muslim community, may Allah be pleased with him, uh, on the cleanliness of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated, he was very particular, even punctilious, with regard to physical cleanliness. He used to brush his teeth several times a day and was so keen on the practice that he used to say that were he not afraid the ordinance might prove onerous, he would make it obligatory upon every Muslim to brush his teeth before every one of the five daily prayers. He always washed his hands before and after each meal, and after eating anything that had been cooked, he always rinsed his mouth and considered it desirable that every person who had eaten anything cooked should rinse his mouth before joining in any of the prayers. And this is mentioned in Sayyid Bukhari. In the polity of Islam, a mosque is the only place of gathering prescribed for the Muslims. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, therefore laid particular uh, stress upon the cleanliness of mosques, especially on occasions where people were expected to collect in them. He had directed that on such occasions, incense should be burnt in the mosques to purify the air. So incense, again, is just a nice smell. It's almost like a perfume, you can say. Hmm. It's like an air freshener. Uh, he also gave directions that nobody should go into a mosque on the occasion of a congregation or gathering after eating anything that was likely to exhale an offensive odor. So you can just see how far the Prophet took took this measure where hmm. you shouldn't even go to the mosque where you eat something, for example, with garlic or onion, which would disturb others. You know, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, but when we look at the Islam has given every single aspect of, of your life, how you should be living your life. And the cleanliness is, you know, major part of it. Half of the, you know, faith in the, is in cleanliness. So we see in the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and the instruction he has given, it's all, you know, it tells us that how much important is to have cleanliness within your life. You should be taking shower, you should be brushing your teeth. That's what he, he, he did. And, he used, you know, there's an Urdu word called muswak. It's kind of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a brush. Uh, you know, natural brush which you use, and uh, there was no toothpaste uh, in that time, of course, and that used to be used and to clean the uh, the, 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 the uh, teeth, and it's normally taken from the uh, you know dif- different trees, and it was small um, branch of of that tea, and they used to use that. Uh, but again, the topic we are covering, and uh, you know, the Islam emphasize on the importance of have a cleanliness and I think and just I would the, like to add yeah. especially with the smog it's actually uh, disposable and biodegradable so it's the mm. ultimate environmentally friendly toothbrush as well yeah that's the thing so it's, it's very important to to have these kind of you know uh, living style where you, we are following uh, all the instructions given by the Holy Prophet peace be upon him because we do understand we have have different studies now. We have machineries. We mm. have technology. We can find the germs there, your toothache, so and so. But these teaching was given 15, nearly 1,500 years back, 1,400, yeah. 1,500 years back. So it's given understanding. And from that day, you know, Muslims have been following this and uh, mm. preventing all kind of, you know, diseases through this cleanliness. And, and, and I think we should uh, always, we should ponder over this, even we are listening today. We should live a life as you know. Lipa Sallam has the peace be upon him has instructed in in in, in his sayings that that's how you should be. That's how you should be adopting cleanliness within your life. And also, uh, one other thing I would like to sort of bring up as well is that we're here dealing sort of with the problem. Yeah. Uh, sort of once it's occurred, yeah. if we try and avoid the problem, 
I think a few things which I think many people wouldn't know mm. and I only really came to know of after I'd experienced some toothache and pain mm. <laughs> was that there are certain uh, oral practices which would improve your oral hygiene by a lot and I personally from my experience can vouch from this as well uh, one is if you switch to certain electric toothbrushes which have a good mechanism for cleaning for example Oral-B mm. uh, IO9 is the one I personally went to um, with that I remember it literally changed my whole experience and also another thing is that you shouldn't uh, rinse your mouth mm. at least for 20 to 30 minutes after you brush your teeth I think this is something people are not aware of so once you br- if you're going to brush your teeth don't eat or drink 30 minutes before it 20 to 30 minutes before it and 20 to 30 minutes after it because that allows the fluoride to settle in mm. and actually of course we should brush twice a day but it's actually more important to brush at night because what happens is you, all that time you're asleep the germs of the time to multiply and, and this is again is all from my experience from my hygienist and she's the one that recommended me moving on to a, a Oral-B um, toothbrush and it really did make a difference on top of that uh, brushing twice a day basic mm. etiquette on top of that uh, as I said don't rinse your mouth or anything 20 to 30 minutes before brushing your teeth and after so it lets the fluoride sort of settle in and it won't cause any issues with your teeth if you've eaten just before so always gap that before to brushing your teeth um, other things are for example many people might not know this but mouthwash actually isn't the best thing to use hmm. you're better off avoiding it I know some of you might be thinking how can you just um, not rinse your mouth after brushing your teeth well it is possible you just have to get used to it just you know just just spit out the residue or whatever's left but don't uh, and you can clean your tongue as well but do not rinse your mouth with water after that that's the key thing and it's, and it's made a huge difference to me as well Looks like you've visited a lot of <laughs> dentistry and you had a good awareness of it. I think, as, as you mentioned, it comes with when you're going through that pain and you visit, uh, you, know, uh, you know, your dentist and he tells you what you should be doing. But, um, you know, uh, of course, the reason of mentioning these today, to, to for the listeners especially, if they don't have it, they should have a you know, precaution. They shouldn't be, yes. you know, indulging themselves to end up with the pain. I think the swear pain, I think, uh, and... and and the reason we're discussing is dentary crisis. Nobody would be see you there. Yeah. And you know, one thing that surprised me when I was practicing or preparing for today's show yeah. is um, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has actually outlaid some of these things 1,400 years ago. Of, of course, um, it just shows sort of how, how before and ahead of his time he was and yeah. how he's guided by God. So, for example, you should always rinse your mouth with uh, water when you have anything which is sticky, for example, coffee, milk, or anything which isn't water. If you do then rinse your mouth with water, it will actually improve your health a lot. Hmm. And again, this is something when I was going through the the, the, the preparation, I was I was presently surprised. I was like, wow, the Holy Prophet taught us this 1,400 years ago yeah. that you should rinse his mouth. And he used to do it himself. I think that this this is something amazed me as well. Going back to 1,500 years ago when people even, you know, they, he, nobody knew that what is in there. Hmm. But he has given such instructions you know, which we're finding out nowadays that actually improves your health in every way. Okay, now we're going to go to our first guest, uh, Saher Nasir, uh, who is a dental student, who is with us. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and thank you very much for joining us today. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Saher, could you please tell us about yourself and what motivated you to study dentistry? Yeah, so I'm currently in my final year at dental school. Mm-hmm. And when I was choosing kind of what field I want to go into, I knew that it had to be centered around helping people. I really wanted to do something that's going to make a difference and 
give back to my community and I feel like as you mentioned before dental health is actually very important mm -hmm. in terms of even your overall health so yeah I just that was really what motivated me and as a child even I had a bit of dental fear you know not every kid likes to go to the dentist mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that um, really inspires me now to want to be better for my patients because I know that I want to put them at ease and I want them to be comfortable to come in and you know regularly have their checkups and treatments. Mm -hmm. Very much right. Uh, you know what should people do in case of dental emergency? Should as you know knockout tooth or severe toothache? Are there any home remedies for such an emergencies? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess in general, like to mention, like if you have a toothache or something, I would personally recommend seeking professional help because. As you know, toothaches can be some of the most painful things that people experience and often you need to find the root cause to treat it. So a dentist would be the best, you know, person to, to do that. But for home remedies, you know, there are some things that you can do just at the time, like a temporary, like pain relief. Like, you know, just in general, you can take ibuprofen, you can use a cold compress, you can, you know, rinse your mouth out with hydrogen peroxide. Like these are all things that can just give you short-term relief. Um, in terms of like out tooth, obviously if it's a primary tooth, if it's a baby tooth, then you wait for the other tooth to grow. But if you have an adult tooth and you know you have a trauma or something and it, and it falls out, um, the first thing to do is to immediately put it into milk and then to go to a dentist as soon as you possibly can so that they can try to re-implant the tooth and you know keep it vital and healthy. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the link between oral health and overall health? Yeah, so there's quite a few links actually between oral health and your overall health. So I guess the main one, which is the most obvious one, would have to be the fact that, you know, we get our nutrition from our food and our mouth is where we eat from. So obviously when you don't have good function of your teeth and, you know, you have severe decay and stuff, you then limit your diet. So then because of that, you're not getting the nutrients that you need in your overall you know to function and then also you know like your mental health is very much related to how you look how your aesthetics are and you know teeth and your smile is like a big thing that people notice when they first see you and speak to you and I've seen so many patients who you know don't don't socialize don't go out anymore and they have like depression anxiety just purely based on the fact that they've not got a good smile and then something that's interesting is actually how infections in your mouth can spread to other parts of your body whether it's through the blood or just you know from neighboring anatomical structures if you have an infection in your mouth and you leave it and you don't treat it it can actually lead to quite severe complications which is why as a dentist we always advise you to go to your regular checkups and as soon as you know that something's wrong you should seek professional help and as a dentist or a dentist to be do you think there's a fundamental reform needed to improve the access to dental health? Well, I think that in general, there is a reform that needs to be done. But I think it's more a government issue because in the UK, we are quite lucky that we've got the NHS system. And I do really like the system where it gives people that are working class access to dental health care. And it, you know, we know that den dental health care can be really expensive. And it's a good system to consider people's income and their backgrounds and give them you know access to it but as we know many dentists are now leaving the NHS system to become private dentists and I think that really comes down to the fact that the system isn't centered around dentists like dentists need some type of incentive to stay working if their lifestyle is really strained 
And if they're having to see like 100 patients in a day, it's just not substantial. It's not something that can be maintained. So to give the patients the perfect treatment and to give them the right time and the right necessities of, you know, whatever they need, Mm -hmm. I think the system needs to really consider what dentists are asking for as well. Mm, Okay. And do you think there's a need for a shift from reactive dental care to a more preventive approach? And if so, what changes should be made in in dentistry to reduce the dental crisis? Mm -hmm. So I think um, there's something that we learn in dental school, which I really like, and it's prevention is always better than cure. And I'm a really firm believer of that. I think in any situation to prevent something is always better than to cure it. And a big part of that in dentistry comes down to education. I think, um, I believe it's something like 29% of schools are teaching the children about dentistry, but the other percentage is not. And I think that as children to have good oral hygiene habits is really important because that's what carries through with them into adulthood. So we need to really, you know, incorporate our curriculum and teach it from a young age that as children get older, they understand how fundamental it is to take care of their teeth, brush twice a day, floss, you know, all these basic things that can really prevent them from having tooth decay and severe problems in their mouth. So I think that in that perspective, yeah, it's definitely important. I know the UK did introduce a sugar tax. I think it was in drinks. And I think that was a good you know, initiative because it was kind of targeting the people that have overconsumption of these sugary drinks. But I still think that, you know, you can't stop people from buying that stuff. Like if it's something that people are used to having, they're still going to have it. I think the best thing we should do is then teach them, okay, if this is what you're going to have, have it in moderation and then educate them around it and say, okay, well, if you're going to drink the Coke, then don't brush your teeth straight afterwards. Rinse and then wait 30 minutes at least before you're brushing your teeth. And another thing is like having it with food rather than having it on its own because it's better for your teeth, having it with a straw maybe. So, you know, these types of changes can prevent them from getting decay, which I think is more important. So my focus would be on education personally. And just uh, as in terms of your opinion as as a professional, why why do you think Mm -hmm. that dental care is so much more expensive than maybe other sort of uh, treatments and and cares the NHS offers. You mean in respect to like hospital care? In terms of um, cost, so for the treatment? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one aspect of it really comes down to the fact that equipment and um, resources in dentistry are quite expensive. And the stuff that we use on the market, it's, it's an expensive, you know, system. So to balance out the costs of that, we have to then charge equally, you know, a high price. But also, I guess it comes down to the fact that dentists have a specific skill set. We study for a long time, five years. Some people specialize for an extra three or four years. So I think covering their own debts as well, it's just a whole system. But I think the NHS system is so great because it then considers the people who are from, you know, working class backgrounds who may not be able to afford a filling, which is priced at like, I don't know, £100 or something. But a lot of dentists are just going purely private and I think that's something that is really scary because everyone it's like a human right to have access to dental care because it's just like a basic right isn't it it's a need and when there's less and less dentists in the NHS then dentists are having to turn away patients and say you know what we can't offer you to join our list because we don't have enough space 
Hmm. Uh, Sarah, what has been done by by the government? What kind of initiative they are taking? Especially, you know, we see there are dentistry or there are some dental practices. They are overburdened, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it is there any you know, there's nobody coming or joining, or there less people joining this field as a you know dentist. Why there's really there's less doctors and less medical you know practices or dental practices? Mm-hmm. Well, I think. If you look at how many universities in England offer dentistry compared to how many offer medicine, mm. there's a huge difference. So there's only 13 universities that offer dentistry, so that's already, yeah. you know, an issue. But then dentists do come in from, you know, other European countries. They do, they come and they work, but the whole system isn't incentivized towards the dentists. They're pressured, their lifestyle. I mean, I remember shadowing many NHS dentists in my time as a student mm-hmm. and seeing how overworked they are how many patients they have to see in one day. And it's just crazy because as a human being, you know, these aren't machines. They are human beings at the end of the day. Mm. They need proper, you know, a proper work system to be able to then provide the, the best treatment for their patients. And it's something that as a government, you know, mm. they need to really focus on that because if the system collapses to rebuild it, it's going to be very difficult. So mm. I think, you know, it's something that really, really does need to be looked at and fixed urgently yeah very much right i think it's very uh they need of uh of have more dentists and dental practices just last yeah. question so one thing especially for the children uh mm-hmm. must be many parents are facing this uh they are they don't have any appointment especially those you know who are having toothaches the you know tooth uh need to be taken out but there's no appointments there what kind of uh you know uh, what 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 they should be doing to prevent uh you know uh, to have the toothache especially i know the chocolates are mm-hmm. one thing but what should they should be doing many they already know but there would be some listeners i think uh this would be very mm-hmm. useful for them yeah well i think one thing that we all know as as children is children very much follow what their parents do mm. they very much look up to their parents so the best thing you can do for your child is to actually practice really good oral hygiene yourself because when your child sees that okay my mom wakes up and she brushes her teeth she brushes her teeth before bed and the child also has that in their routine so i think enforcing it in that way is really useful and also limiting how much sugar they eat because yeah i know every child loves sugar yeah. but as a parent you need to put some type of discipline in you need to you know maybe come to an agreement that once a week as a treat you can have chocolate and then you know you can brush your teeth afterwards and you know having these types of practices is better for the child because preventing you know decay and toothaches is at their best interest so even if you feel like you're doing something bad for the child's health you're actually doing something good hmm. yeah you were much right but i think it's very hard to you know uh yeah take that away especially when they find the chocolates they just fill their pockets up <laughs> and just run away <laughs> anyways yeah. uh, thank you very much uh, sir for joining us today it was a pleasure speaking with you thank you so uh, have much. a nice evening peace be upon you, you uh, so this was uh sir nasir a uh, student of uh, dentistry a uh, dental student uh, who was with us and uh, she has given us insight of uh, how dental uh, you know dentistry is working what kind of crisis there what can be done to make it better and again if you want to get involved you can do so by contacting us on 02086877878 or alternatively you can tweet us at voice of islam uk or you can use the website www.voiceofislam.co.uk to voice your opinions. 
Indeed. Now, uh, you know, as we are discussing uh, dentistry crisis, uh, to move on and discuss this further, you know, Commons Library Research commissioned by the LibDAM showed that the fewer than one into two, 44% children saw NHS dentist in the last year. Amid a warning, some parts of uh, the country have become dental, you know, deserts. North Lancashire, as of 2021-2022, uh, had the highest ratio of people to dentist with one NHS practitioner for every 3,199, so 3,200 people. So this was, this was a higher than the national average of 2,330 people per NHS dentist in England. Meanwhile, Bolton has seen the sharpest increase in in ratio with, with the number of people per dentist rising by 35% since 2019, taking it to 1 per 2,044. Other increases with a sharp increase in population per dentist include Ipswich and East Suffolk 26%, West Suffolk 19% and Barnsley 13%. Of course, you know, teeth play an important function uh, in, the, in, in the digestive process and they are important in helping people to speak and in upholding one's uh, facial structure. Without teeth, nobody would be able to say anything, uh, you know, c- comprehensible, if at all. Without teeth, you know, have to you know you would have to swallow your food without being able to chew it first, which is unhealthy for the digestive system. High cost of uh, dental we have discussed in with with our uh, guest. Of course, you know the dental care can be prohibitively expensive, and uh, particularly for those without insurance, the cost of uh, uh, routine checkups, treatments, and procedures often leads individuals to postpone or you know forge necessary dental care. And again, when there is a high cost on the other side, the limited availability, which is another, uh, you know, crisis which we're discussing. And of course, there's a shortage of dental professionals in many, many areas, especially in rural and underserved communities. And this, you know, shortage further restricts access to care. I think disparities in access is another thing. So socioeconomic factors, including income, insurance status, play a significant role in determining who has access to dental care. Mm -hmm. And this then leads to inequalities in oral health outcomes. Um, Cleanliness in Islam is actually a part of faith, uh, as we have mentioned before, touched on, and it leads to a healthy life. Our uh, Our Holy Prophet has said cleanliness is the requirement of faith. So it's actually a part of your faith. You need to be, you need to have cleanliness. And just in terms of, um, you mentioned that North Lincolnshire, as of 2021, 2022, has the highest ratio of dentists to people to dentists, uh, with one NHS practitioner for every 3,199 people. And I think that's absurd. 3,200 people per dentist. As our guest actually mentioned this as well. That's an overload for any dentist. Yeah, it's a big numbers, isn't it? Even if everyone wants to visit just once. Yeah. And of course, if they need a filling or anything, they are going to return. I think if we just look at that, that just shows there that there's a crisis. And I personally think people don't visit. If they don't have a pain or they are lim- limited people, I think they have uh, you know, they have registered themselves in dental care. I, I, I think so. There are many who probably don't even never visited dental care. They think they are fine and they just keep going on. But the, when the time comes, when the toothache starts, 
they have no registration and nobody is registering those uh, people it's and funny, they struggle. It's, it's funny you say that, that you know some people can't even get an appointment because a poll commissioned by the political party last year found that 21% of people who couldn't secure an NHS dentist appointment yeah. attempted self-dentistry or sought help from non-dentists. And I think that's <laughs> very dangerous. It is. Because the side effects of that. And I was discussing, you know, uh, <laughs> my uh, daughter was having a very tooth decay and, you know, toothache as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we tried to go privately. But when, of course, it's a quite expensive thing. It's not something which is done in one, two, three hundred, four hundred pounds. It was a thousand pounds. And we thought to have holidays in in Turkey and get it done over there. <laughs> it will be two in one, isn't it? Then that's what we th- we thought of. But uh, hopefully she's fine. But gradually uh, we are trying our level best to take a point from here. But that's how the situation is right now. You can't really pay thousands of pounds. It's, it's better to go there and just get that fixed. And many people they actually they do it. They actually go to other countries. They show doctors if they of course if they don't have very severe pain. But they do visit other countries and get them checked, or you know, if they want to clean those. And I've, 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 you know, seen many or met many people. They do normally when they visit, uh, which some countries where the uh, the care is be- good, but it's much cheaper than here. I agree with you. Even in a survey of two thousand two hundred thirty-four UK adults conducted by Savanta Comres in August, uh, they actually found that twenty-six percent delayed seeing a dentist despite experiencing pain and over a quarter paid for private treatment. Mm. See, I think this is a very big number and uh, there must be many people who struggle with it and definitely they, are, they must be living in pain and they, they, they can't do anything, isn't it? I think just in terms of, of course, if you have the issue, then you need to go to a dentist. But in terms of to prevent, mm. one other thing which uh, I've, from my research, I've discovered is a lot of people, they're mm. unaware of the proper technique of brushing. Yeah, true. Uh, it might sound like you're right. <laughs> a joke, but it's true. Um, if you're using a manual toothbrush, which yeah. is what most people are, it's normally recommended if your gums are sensitive to go with more of a soft uh, Bristol one. So go yeah. for soft. It says it on the top anyway. Um, then you need to have an angle of about 45 degrees where some gum and some teeth, yeah. tooth. And then you need to go in circular motions, not... It's, you're not fighting your teeth. You're supposed to sort of with, with care go in circular motions and go around. Mm. And, and personally, I found that harder. So when I switched to an electric one, it's actually a lot easier. And, uh, you just it have to put it on the tooth and just doing itself. Exactly. But even that, um, there's different brands where, um, of course, we're not here to promote anyone, but okay. different brands have different mechanisms for the toothbrush, the, the mechanics of it. And uh, from my research and from what my uh, hygienist told me, the Oral-B one, the, the, your experience. the motor they use... <laughs> The yeah. way it works, it, it actually cleans better. So if that helps anyone out there, then why not? <laughs> they should go ahead right to the boots and get it then. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, by the way, um, another side of it is actually homeopathic treatment. Mm-hmm. So when I had extreme pain, yeah, um, I realized I need a filling. It was in February 2022. Um, I actually used uh, homeopathic medicine, Calendula Q, mm. and I had like cotton buds. Uh, you know the ones where yeah, I know. it's people who use to remove nail polish. I was using that. <laughs> I was just holding it on for 10 seconds. Yeah. I know many and people, they do have it actually. Um, I know people around me, they use that medicine. I don't know the exact name as you mentioned, but uh, can you tell us again, you know, if their listeners, they might need it. <laughs> again, everyone's different, but I used the uh, Calendula Q. Um, it actually helps though. It made a, yeah. it made a huge difference. I had a lot of bleeding in the gums and yeah, everything. Yes, so you have to put in the cotton bud and just put it on the on the tooth. Stick yeah. it on. There's a, yeah. there, I think there was a. I did try another medicine with it before, 
Um, that one I've forgotten the name of. But, you know, I've been blessed. I haven't had any issues since. So definitely yeah, it's, do it's, try it's, that. It's, of course, this is not like a recommendation from us. Uh, you have to seek, um, you know, uh, help from dentists first. It's not something advisory to listen and do as we are saying. We, he's just sharing the experience, of course. But, of course, you should visit your uh, dent, dentist and seek guidance from them. And, uh, you know, and whatever they suggest, I think uh, that's the best way to do do it. And, uh, you know, prevention, of course, it's the best way to, 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 to you know, avoid all kind of uh, situations. You know, one of the things we were discussing in the beginning about Biswak, which is the natural truth brush which the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, used to do. I would like to mention a bit more what is Muswak. A Muswak or, you know, Siwak is a small stick uh, with which the, you know, teeth are rubbed and cleaned. The end is shaped into a brush, though biting and chewing, which serve the separate the fiber and release the healing herbal power of the twig. Some advantages of the miswag are that in, it, it doesn't require toothpaste, water, or a special area to use it, and may be easily carried, uh, carried in one's purse or pocket. And it is also disposable and, um, you know, uh, biodegradable. biodegradable therefore, yeah. it is the ultimate environmentally safe toothbrush. And some people even believe it works better than a toothbrush. Hazrat Abu Huraira, the companion of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, reported that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Were it not that I might overburden believers, I would have ordered them to use the miswak at every prayer. So there are five daily prayers in Islam. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, I don't, I don't, I don't want to burden you. But he you know, had this desire to say that you should you know, do miswak or clean your teeth five times a day mm. before you do ablution before prayer you should clean your teeth and i think if you start if you start doing this then i think you won't be having any kind of uh, problem or any toothaches 100 and actually um some toothpaste i actually you've, you've been told not to use them more than twice a day so if you want to switch to a miswak by all He's means that's an alternative um and just i think even logically if you look at it um, you wouldn't speak to your friend without with bad breath or you know not mm. having clean yourself or with dirty teeth. So why would you do it with God Almighty? So that that's another aspect that makes us uh, focus on cleanliness yeah, as well. Yeah, of course. That that's that that's the whole purpose. Of course, there was you know one 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 of the saying of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, yeah. where he visited a companion. Uh, he made a new house and he's requested the Holy Prophet peace be upon him to visit that house. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, went there and he found a small window, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the wall, mm. right on top of it. So, and he asked the companion, why you have given this small window? Mm. So he replied that I've given this window to have a fresh air in the house. So he said, if you have, uh, you know, given it in, in this understanding with this uh, intention that you will hear the, you know, the call to prayer, the call to prayer mm. it would have been... Um, uh, better for you, and it will be, would have been a uh, source of reward, source yeah. of reward mm. isn't it? But on the same thing, you know, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him has mentioned that I want you to join this muswak with the prayer because if you're going to God Almighty, of course you go to cleanliness, and that's how you should be presenting to God Almighty with the clean everything, clean clothes. You you have done the ablution, you have cleaned your mouth and everything. And on the other hand, is a hygiene as aspect as well. It will yes. you know protect your teeth. As well. Now, um, you know, root causes of of the crisis. I think is very important to discuss that why these crises are there, whether they were there from the day one, 
or they just started and what's going to be so what do you think uh, Osman on I this? think um, from what I've seen it's it's sort of a thing which has built over time um, and many countries are actually now lacking universal dental care coverage mm. and there's actually significant por- portions of populations without affordable access and care I mean think we live in the UK yeah and where it might be harder we still have some sort of care we're blessed in that mm. sense but of course countries that are less fortunate they're True. in a lot worse of a situation another thing is insurance gaps so in certain countries with dental insurance coverage is often inadequate with higher deductibles and limitations on the number of covered visits or procedures so what would happen is you'd think you're covered and as soon as something goes wrong you realize oh wait only mm. a portion of that's covered now what do I do with the rest of it exactly so then you end up sort of in no man's land where you like how do i pay for this now um even people that work for companies i think even personally i think when my uh, brother had an accident as well they were like uh we're only going to cover i think a certain amount per accident so mm. it, let's say your cost is for example 10k or 10000 pounds we're going to cover 2500 per emergency exit so the mm. rest is still on you basically so there's never actually full coverage And again there's also workforce shortages uh, there's a shortage of dentists especially in um, underserved areas and there's limitation to care and as I guess actually said this as well it's because uh, in my opinion as well from what we can see is they're not catered for properly in the NHS so then they are moving towards private mm. and it's having a knock on domino effect on everyone else as well where everyone is suffering and may- maybe those more well off they're all right with it but other people again if if they haven't got the money there's nothing they can do they just they're living in pain for years sometimes and another problem is nhs pract- practices are no longer accepting new patients i personally experienced this a lot of places said sorry we're not accepting any more patients yeah it's in many dental practices they are not taking uh, new uh, patients in even private um, insurances such as bupa one of the largest providers in the country hmm. recently closed 85 dental practices and and that's despite a sizable uptake in the number of um, patients going private uh, the fact that private providers are cutting back also speaks volumes to the primary sort of cause of the crisis which is staff shortages mm. you very much right you know uh, again uh, you know preventive versus reactive approach you know dental care often focuses on uh, treating problems rather than preventing them and i think from very beginning of the show we have been discussing this preventing is very important and a shift towards prevention you know could be reduce the burden on dental services many time you know many people are there sometime uh, we don't pay attention that how important it is to take care of your teeth and again because of, because of uh, we not taking preventions uh, what happens at the end we burden dental services i think another thing that actually made a big difference was the pandemic hmm. what it did is put a lot of stress where it was a huge trigger where prior to the pandemic the number of dentists uh, doing nhs work uh, was on a slow up uptrend of about 0.5 increase percent increase per year but then as soon as the pandemic began and the lockdowns prevented uh, dental practices from operating except of course if you had an emergency then mm. they were operating uh, the total number of dentists actually fell by 4% in a single year so there's an increase of 0.5% from even before and then as soon as covid came or the pandemic of of covid uh, we lost dentists so more patients <laughs> and less dentists even before the pandemic you know britain had a relatively low number of dentists in 2019 the country had fewer per 100,000 residents of 
any G7 country, 53, substantially lower than countries like Italy, which is 82, and Germany, 86. Britain dentistry practices were, you know, already having a severe far more patient per dentist than other countries. And of course, COVID-19, as you mentioned, stretched them uh, to to a breaking point. You know, the to, to, to understaffing issue in NHS dental services primarily attributed to you know, austerity measures with an 8% real-term funding cut since 2010. In 2013, David Cameron instituted a cap on government-funded trainee dental, dental positions, a cap that was briefly lifted in 2020-2021 but you know, reinstated in 2022. And the, you know, Pivotal government action contributing to the current dental crisis. However, dental back uh, to 2006 when Tory to Tony Blair introduced a new contract between the NHS and its dentists. I think that's a key thing there. Indeed. It, because it's not something which has just come about now. Hmm. It's something which has slowly, slowly sort of ended up like this. So even under the previous system, the, there was a benefit where dentists were paid per procedure. Then the 2006 reform altered this compensating dentists based on the set number of units of dental activity. Mm. So regardless of the complexity of the procedure, dentists must complete 96% of this work or face a fee repayment, which I, I think is absurd. Mm. And there's a cap on the total um, amount of work they can do, potentially leading to turning patients away. Again, so what you've done now is you've changed it to the number of procedures they're doing, regardless of how difficult it is or the time spent on it. And then because you're limited, then you can only take on a certain number of patients. Mm. So it, it really just did start. Policies in a, a policy is just to rectify the policies and see what can be done. And I think we sometimes, you know, uh, we don't pay attention to these things. And as you, as we've been discussing this, it's not started today. It started 20 years back, you know, slowly and gradually, even regardless of NHS or we were discussing dentistry or any other sector, things starts from... Uh, have been started many years back but the results are there in front of us now and we see that what kind of difference making nowadays I mean the system often results in low pay for dentists Uh, it's reported that 45% it's reported over 45% decline in NHS pay just since 2020 so that's only the last three years (laughs) that's a huge isn't it (laughs) (laughs) and chronic overwork as well with 87% experiencing symptoms of stress and anxiety in the past year so that's why people are leaving because if they're they're not feeling fulfilled after having studied and spent that much time as I think the guest said as well when you've spent that much time and effort into going somewhere and you want to do something to help people and of course to you know to progress in your field as anyone would then if you're if the result of that is stress and anxiety, you would just move away and go to something which is more uh, favorable. Yeah, I think one we had one guest a few months back it was an NHS worker who mentioned one thing, and she said if you are not uh, taking care of the doctors or you know dentists, they are doctors as well, and they are thinking about how they're going to pay their mortgages and other stuff, how they're going to you know pay for the insurance and so and so, what are they going to do while they are seeing the patients? They're not there physically. They have anxiety. There's so many things going on in their mind. So they, to have a better outcome, they should be stress-free while they are seeing the patients. And it's very important, especially, you know, when you're seeing the patient, it's very um, minute details. You have to look into it. Sometimes just because of that, something can go wrong. 
So it's very important that they are physically there and they have no other things going on in their head every single month after 15 days, 20 days of, you know, a month. These things are coming up and uh, it's insufficient, uh, you know, help is not there or sufficient um, amount is not there to pay off those things. Of course. And I think the another thing related to it is that when there's a lack of sort of dental care, mm. people are then going to go to emergency services, which is just going to strain them as well, yes. So what happens is, it's like one issue is leading to another hmm. and contributing to it. And especially um, in Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, has said that cleanliness is, is the key to prayer and prayer is the key to paradise. And, and the reason I've brought this up is because it just shows that Islam values cleanliness very highly. I, I know we've mentioned other um, narrations as well. Hmm. But for me, this is one of the reasons why we need to focus on this topic and it's not just uh, a thing where you'd think that maybe it has no um, spiritual link where it actually does have a spiritual link and that's why our pro- Holy Prophet peace be upon him has actually laid emphasis on it and I think now at this point we should go to the reform options for improved access because you mentioned the issue yeah I think one thing as you mentioned regarding the saying of the Holy Prophet okay, peace yeah. there's so much wisdom behind it it's not some. It's not only particularly having cleanliness. Of course, you mentioned it's, it's 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 related to spirituality. You know, if you have a clean teeth, you're smelling good, you're wearing good. Automatically, you know, your 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 spirit is refreshed. You know, you, it's not something you're feeling down and uh, you you stand in front of God. But one other thing, I think, which you know, uh, give us in this kind of understanding from this uh, saying of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. You know, we have discussed the overburden. We have discussed the prevention. And somehow when we are focusing on cleanliness, we are doing these things automatically. We are taking care of us and we are not overburdening the services. We are having, uh, you know, take care of ourselves. We have taken the prevention. We are brushing the teeth. Automatically, we are not going to see the doctor. There's so many, in the rare cases, there will be a few people. But because especially, I think when we discover the teeth, they are so sensitive sometimes. If, if, if you don't take care of them properly, they can. There's a possibility they can go. That something can go wrong within the within your teeth, and ultimately at the end you have to see the doctors. So cleanliness is one thing, but there's so much wisdom behind it. If you, if we start living a life which is you know cleanliness, we are washing hands. There will be less people getting ill. There will be less diseases around us. You know, especially we're discussing about the dentistry, and if we are cleaning our teeth, definitely we'll be less likely to see the doctors. Of course. Um, now again, as you mentioned, the the reform what was the op- what's the yeah. solution of it? So back to the reform reform options. Yeah. One thing is you can you know implement uh, universal dental care coverage, and that can ensure that everyone has access to essential dental services, irrespective of their income and insurance status. Of course, again, easier said than done, but the steps need to be taken, and that's the only way the change can come about. Telehealth and teledentistry. Um, they're utilizing technology to promote uh, to provide remote consultations and follow-ups can expand access to care in underserved areas. So again, I think one of the benefits of um, COVID was that we're able to use Zoom and other sort of platforms to have uh, even for lessons, for example, in in, in schools and, and colleges and universities, we, we could have them online and we can go back and listen to them again. So if you miss something, you can always go back and retrieve. Uh, and the same thing happened with some appointments. Uh, even myself, when uh, I injured my knee, <laughs> um, my consultation for physiotherapy was over the phone. Um, and they try and do that with the video. And I think that's quite useful, for, especially for those that are unable 
to make it in and it would actually serve to uh, reduce the burden on the dentist because it may not be an issue which needs to be seen. Of course, if it is, then you do need to go in. Um, and then on top of that, I think for the people that can't afford it, loan forgiveness programs, so encouraging dental professionals to work in underserved communities through loan forgiveness programs can help address workforce shortages. So, you know, reducing their loans or whatever they need to pay back or some sort of incentive. Mm-hmm. Uh, preventative education is very, very important as well. That's that's going to the cause, the root of it, where promoting oral hygiene and preventive care can reduce the demand for reactive treatments, thereby alleviating the burden on dental services. So if you deal with the problem before it becomes a problem, hmm. then it's not even a problem. I think this is the only thing we we are not paying attention to. Prevention is important. 100%. I think that that's the key. And that's what I was trying to sort of allude to before, where I was saying, you know, do these things and it will have an influence where... It, you should still see a dentist, by the way. Every, every year you should have one sort of consultation hmm. because there may be things which you cannot see on the, on the root or on the surface and, and they're better addressed earlier because if you just let them sort of grind away, they can end up affecting more yeah. than one tooth. It's likely, you know, it's likely to be sorted out there and then rather than going the whole procedure and, you know, uh, to, to, to go and uh, take out the tooth. And I think one thing you should do is um, sort of integrate dental care with primary health care. Mm-hmm. In my sort of experience, it's sort of slightly separate where the benefits or the help you get for general health care is often slightly s- separate to the health and to the benefits or the treatment help that you get with um, the NHS uh, dentu- d- uh, dentistry side. For example, if you're on a HC2 form, yes, everything is covered. But if you're on a HC3, most of your medicines would be covered for other things, whereas on the dentistry side, you still have to make much more of a significant contribution where even if you're paying, for example, I think uh, a normal price for a filling, if you go private, is about 60 to 185, depending on how um, complex the filling is. Hmm. So I've had one person right near the nerve, so to avoid a root canal, they've tried to just do a filling. And again, 185 pounds for some people, that's... Oh, that's a lot, actually. Nowadays, especially the circumstances we are living in, people don't have enough to, you know, have a provision for themselves and paying a huge uh, rental. There's so many things they need to pay, and it's not. We we can't say that they have hundred or two hundred pounds spare on the side. Maybe they end up with nothing. So uh, it's very important, I think, uh, to 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 uh, do something. Uh, for the this crisis, and that's what we're discussing, and and I hope I think people are raising voice for it. And you know, Sir Ad gearing up for local elections, he you know advocates to for reform to the NHS dental contracts and increased resources for mobile dental units to visit various facilities. His party aims to establish an NHS dental healthcare plan for affordable access to dental dental care. They, they propose using 400 million pounds of unspent NHS dental services funding to enhance appointment availability and demand the removal of VAT on children's oral care products. Addressing the concerning rise in dental deserts, Sir Ad emphasizes that urgent need to address the issue with individuals waiting in pain for months or years for dental care. He you know, criticize the conservative government for uh, inaction on the dental crisis and calls 
for immediate measures to ensure NHS dental care availability for all. The Labour Party has not yet commented on these proposals. And I personally think, I think, being an adult, of course, if you're in pain, you can't bear it, especially toothache is very, very painful. But I've seen my daughter, my son, there's so many children, I've spoken to doctor, there's so many children in line waiting to see the, you know, doctor, They maybe they're having a toothache, they, they have some kind of infection, and in in the line, there's hundreds of pe- children. They are waiting there. You know, we can uh, a person who has adult. He can explain. You can explain to him. And he can explain to himself. And using different remedies to you know to 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 uh, you know uh, resolve or solve or you know uh, treat the problem. But if they are young children, they are just under five, under eight, under six, under ten. You know, they are struggling. It's very, very difficult for them, especially for parents when they see the, the, the children are in pain. I think this should be they sh- should be addressed properly as we see, you know, Sir Ad uh, emphasize that the urgent need to address the issue. And I think, you know, one other thing which might be overlooked, uh, but definitely not by someone who's experienced the pain, is that this actually implements your whole health in other ways as well. So if, for example, your teeth, uh, if you've got an issue in your teeth, you'll be suffering from headaches and digestive problems and everything is sort of linked. I think that's the concern. Yeah, very much right. You know, the, the Department of Health and Social Care has revealed that ministers are gearing up to announce additional measures aimed in at enhancing access to NHS dental services. They emphasize their commitment to improving access by investing over three billion pounds in annually in NHS dental care. The NHS dental con- contracts has been reformed to encourage more dentists to provide NHS treatments, enable dental therapists and hygienists to offer additional services and increase the funding for high-need patients. And I think just as we are running short on time, to, just to end, I would like to you know just bring up a saying of the yeah. Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that a healthy body has a healthy mind. So let's just try and follow the footsteps of our Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Because I think that emphasizes the importance of, of brush of oral hygiene more than anything else we could have said. The words of our prophet. Yeah, indeed, you're very much right. I think uh, we'll end up. I think there can't be uh, better words or end up the show with, with these words. Um, and again, you know, simply, we should be living the life as the Prophet has instructed us. We have a cleanliness within ourselves. We should be using uh, brushing teeth twice a day at least. And uh, you know, uh, and, and taking care of our teeth and not giving chocolates to children. There's so many things we can do. Anyhow, we have to end the, this show for today. Until then, assalamualaikum. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamualaikum. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to the second hour, and in this hour, we're going to be discussing the promised Messiah and the signs of his truthful advent. Yes, uh, indeed, Usman will be discussing uh, the important topic. Uh, as Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, we believe that Messiah has come. Uh, we believe the Messiah, the, the the Messiah which every, you know, all religions are waiting for. Uh, being an Ahmadi Muslims, uh, we believe that Messiah has come, and we'll be discussing uh, that uh, Messiah, and uh, we'll be discussing the. Uh, you know signs of uh, his advent and how what signs are there and how they go fulfilled and for this particular topic we'll be having a guest as well 
who will be giving us more insight into this topic. The start of, you know, the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, prophesies that one of the signs of the last hour is that the sun will rise from the west. One interpretation mentioned by the promised Messiah is that the spiritual sun of Islam will rise from the west, which means western nation will accept religion of Islam. The eastern nations which had inherited this religion showed negligence towards it over the passage of time and did not fully appreciate this blessing. Yet the western nations are thirsty for such guidance. And we see, Usman, even now, that sometimes the people who are seeking uh, a religion, especially we're living in a West, and we see that many people, especially, you know, English people or people who are uh, of these countries, Europe or England or, you know, in Britain, we see there are people who are looking for God Almighty. And when they come and when they, you know, join or accept Islam, they do very sincerely. And they do whatever has to be has to done for, you know, for for, for, for to, to to please God Almighty. I'm not saying that of course Muslims are doing it, but as the promised Messiah has mentioned, that neg- negligence there's a chance for negligence, which can occur in 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 the uh, in, in people, uh, the Eastern people or the Eastern nation. But when the religion which reached to Western nations, uh, they will uh, you know accept Islam as they're thirsty for such guidance. I think that there's an aspect there where once you have the, the basic uh, needs of, of your of, of your existence fulfilled, for example, you have a roof over your head. On the most part, for most people, you have a roof over your head, you know, you have uh, food, shelter, um, basic electricity, and all your needs are fulfilled. At that point, uh, when you have all the things that you, you need, and, and of course, for some people, it, they may have a different mindset where they want certain more uh, certain other things but once they've achieved whatever they wanted to achieve in the worldly realm and they feel an emptiness that's mm. then something that would move them towards god it's because um maybe if you're in a country uh, and again this is if you're in a country where you're struggling to eat and drink maybe your focus is there and sometimes that may actually lead you to god and trusting into god as well but once you've had everything in these countries that there's an aspect where then you feel like, oh wait, there's an emptiness. What do I do now? Maybe I have all this money or all of this. What do I do now? That's why you see sometimes uh, celebrities are turning towards Islam as well. Yeah, and um, you know, looking at uh, the, the history, I met one person when I was preaching, uh, and he mentioned, you know, if he goes back in 1990 or 1980s, the people were religious even here, and even now there are many. But some have, you know, distanced themselves from religion. Even though they, they are, you know, believers, but they have distanced. And a true guidance, a true, you know, uh, uh, a true guidance indeed is, is, is through Islam. And uh, we see that people, when they are, you know, when they come back, they have done everything. Maybe their parents were religious, but now they have, you know, they, they distanced themselves or maybe they indulge themselves in the world. But now when they come back, they look for the truth. And when they look for the truth, many are joining Islam because the person who understands the true teachings of Islam, he understands this is what a man needs. This is something which connects to God Almighty. This is something which, you know, especially reading the Holy Quran, is full of prophecies, full of signs, 
which was you know given to the holy prophet peace be upon him 15 uh, you know 14 to 1500 years back and things have been mentioned in the holy quran it's is nearly impossible to mention by ordinary person has to be god almighty the holy prophet peace be upon him was he was illiterate so again as the promised messiah sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned that western people would join islam you know the holy quran refers to the holy prophet peace be upon him the light is a light giving sun since the sun of spiritual guidance had descended in the east you know revealing deep religious truths for the whole of mankind it was destined that his message shall also reach the west and to be accepted and western materialistic philosophy and science by means of a human exertion and endeavor cannot quench the spiritual thirst of the western nation thus god has destined Uh, you know uh, the spiritual enlightenment of the west would occur when the revelation of god would reach the west and the words that he may cause it to prevail over all religions would be you know fulfilled through the advent of the promised messiah islam and the promised messiah um has interpreted his prophecy of the holy prophet peace be upon him uh, and interpreting and in doing such he writes similarly the rising of the sun from the west which will take place we believe in it however what was disclosed to this humble one through a vision is that the sun rising from west means that the western countries which had been engulfed by the darkness of infidelity and ignorance will be illuminated by the sun of truth and they will have a share of islam i saw myself standing on a rostrum in london revealing the truth of islam through well reasoned arguments in the english language Afterwards I caught many birds sitting on small trees their color was white and their bodies were like those of partridges therefore I interpreted this to mean that even though uh, that even though not me yet my writings would spread amongst those people and many righteous englishmen would become the prey of truth in fact the connection of the western countries with religious honesty had had hitherto been very rare It is as if Allah gave knowledge of religion to the whole of Asia and secular knowledge to Europe and America. The chain of prophethood also remained with Asia, as did the benefits of consummate sainthood. Now God Almighty wants to encompass these people with his divine mercy. And indeed, you know, we are uh, seeing this mercy that people are joining Islam Ahmadiyyat. You know, the, the sun rising from the west may seem an impossible event. and this was prophesied by the holy prophet peace be upon him 1400 years ago that the companion of the holy prophet peace be upon him were discussing the last hour when he came and asked them what they were doing he said there would be 10 signs before the end of the world will come to pass so you know we'll be discussing uh, this in depth but before going into it uh, we will be having our first guest on the show I uh, will be having Imam Rabib Mirza uh, who is a missionary uh, of Ahmadiyya Muslim Association uh, living in London and I welcome him in the show assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and thank you very much for joining us today wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah peace be upon you and peace be upon all of uh, our listeners and jazakallah uh, for having me once again Uh, thank you, Zakamullah, for joining us today. Uh, Imam Rabi Mirza, uh, do you find, you know, prophecies about the coming of the Messiah in all major religions? Uh, it's a very interesting question um, because when you um, study the 
religions of the world, you come to find that there is a common denominator within all of them, or many common denominators or many common facts, uh, commonalities. And actually one of them is uh, in regards to a Latter-day Savior. Um, of course, the Christians, they believe that Jesus is going to descend from the heavens. Um, the Zoroastrians, they believe that the Soashant is going to appear. The Hindus believe that uh, an, an avatar or Hazrat Krishna um, is going to uh, appear in the latter days. And also amongst the Muslims, we see that there is the concept of uh, an Imam Mahdi and the Messiah. <coughs> so the first um, hurdle that we have to rectify is that is it going to be one single individual or is it going to be many individuals? So according to our understanding and interpretation of the Holy Quran, in <clears throat> one of the chapters of the Holy Quran, God Almighty clearly states was that there's going to come a time where all the prophets shall be gathered together. Now what the Ahmadiyya Muslim community interprets from that is that there's going to come a time where there will be one savior in the latter days, but he will resemble the qualities of many prophets. And if we look at the various different prophecies of world religions in regards to their saviors, um, we see that there is a common factor and there are commonalities uh, within those aspects of the prophecies. For example, in the Janamsaki in Sikhism, uh, Hazrat uh, Baba Guru Nanak is asked in regards to a latter day guru. And uh, Baba Guru Nanak says to his disciples that Hosi, that there will be a guru jat, a landlord. And then his disciple asks him that where is he going to appear? And Baba Guru Nanak says that Paragna Batale Vichosi. So <clears throat> he states that he is going to appear near Batala. And we know that uh, where the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community was born, uh, Qadian, that's roughly around um, 11 miles from, from Batala. And also the fact that he was going to be a landlord, we also know that the host founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, he was also a, a chieftain, um, and his father was also a chief of, uh, of you know, the, the area that was assigned to him in the Punjab, in other words, Qadian, in the surrounding areas as well. And we see this very prophecy mentioned by the Holy Prophet, وسلم, where he's mentioned that there is going to um, appear uh, the Messiah and the Holy Prophet وسلم, has used the words of Mawarao uh, Nahar um, which in English would be Transaxonia so it's basically the Central um, Asia part and he's also said that when the Messiah will appear you know, he will be also named uh, Harisul Huras which in other words basically means a landlord as well so we know again that um, the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, he is also descended from that particular area. And as 
it was in the prophecy of Sikhism. <clears throat> it was also a land road as well. When we look at the religion of Zoroastrianism, um, when in the Jama Sipi, um, so basically this uh, particular book, uh, this particular chapter, we can say this specifically talks about um, the uh, Soashant. And the Soashant is basically the savior of the latter days. And some of the signs that have been mentioned when the Soashant will appear, one is Ankeshab Roshan Taras. That when he appears, the night is going to be the most lit up. Now, obviously, we know that when there's darkness, it's impossible. Or when night nightfall happens, um, there is as such no light except you know the light that is given of the moon or sometimes the stars as well. So what we can interpret it from this is that we know that the brightest night is the night of the 14th moon. And so it would mean that the Soashant would appear uh, at the 14th century as well. So this is one interpretation that we do. And of course, we welcome uh, other interpretations of this, but this is one interpretation of uh, this particular prophecy. Then in the the uh, Hindu scriptures as well, in the uh, Atharaved, um, <clears throat> it's mentioned uh, that one one rishi will appear near a place of uh, Qadun. And actually just uh, a few days ago, because obviously we know that, um, you know, there are certain translations that uh, people render as well. Uh, even the prophecy about uh, Muhammadim in the Bible, um, some people do not translate that as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's appearance. Rather, they literally translate it. Uh, in other words, they just translate what the meaning of Muhammadim is. So, of course, there are different interpretations, different translations of, of the word Qudun. Um, however, one particular Hindu uh, pundit, he wrote a book, um, you know, basically detailing and uh, a very comprehensive detail and, um, you know, analyzing the, these particular prophecies about, you know, a particular saying that was going to come in the latter days. So all of these things, and for the, you know, for our listeners as well, Kudun, it sounds like Qadian as well. So there is that resemblance as well. And even in the Islamic literature, um, <clears throat> we find that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has mentioned that when the latter day Messiah comes, Imam Mahdi comes, he will appear, you know, in a place called Qada, then the Qara, so they sound like Qadian as well. So from these various different prophecies, we can understand that um, there was going to be only one savior, and he was going to appear in this particular area, and these were going to be his qualities and traits. And even in Matthew uh, chapter 24, this talks about all the um, prophecies of the end times, and uh, even within them, we see that, for example, it talks about the solar, the solar and lunar eclipse. It talks about earthquakes. And when Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Muhammad came, he was the only one at that time 
who claim to be the Mahdi because there is a particular prophecy regarding the Mahdi that when he comes, the sun and moon will be eclipsed. He was the only one that claimed to be the Mahdi um, when the solar and lunar eclipse happened during his time. And then further on, we see that there were so many earthquakes as well. Just a few days ago, I was actually just reading up about this. So over from around 1900 to 2001, there's an estimation of around 1900 earthquakes that took place. So that's roughly one uh, earthquake per year. And, you know, the, the, the year that we're living in presently or the century that we're living in, uh, in presently, we see so many earthquakes have, have taken place over just the past few days past few months, you know, in, in Afghanistan, just uh, a few days ago, one uh, occurred in Nepal um, and so many places around the world. So these were the signs or these are signs that the Messiah and the Imam Mahdi has come and one should try to seek him out. And I know you've just touched on that, you know, it will actually be one person and all these major religions are waiting indeed for the same person. Is there anything else you want to add in that regard? Because I know you've obviously all the major religions are waiting, uh, awaiting the coming of a Messiah, but just in terms of it being one person rather than several different ones, if you could just shed some light on that. Of course, of course. You know, as I as I mentioned before, <clears throat> that if there is going to be um, a variety, if I were to put it, of of different saviors then there is a possibility um, of conflict as well. And our understanding is that when the Holy Prophet, peace of Allah be upon him, was commissioned to reform the world, he was commissioned as a universal prophet. The prophet for him, they were national prophets, or their prophethood was only reserved to a certain time and to a certain the Prophet peace and blessings be upon him extends to the end of time. So when you talk about uh, a savior appearing in the latter days after the Holy Prophet peace and blessings be upon him, the first thing to remember is that he will come in subordination of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings be upon him and also his duty and task be to unite all S- the... Sorry, I'm also, uh, just uh, there's a little bit of distortion in your voice. There's a crackling sound. It might just be the signal. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. Um, I think is, there's still a little bit of crackling maybe, isn't there? Um, is it better? Um, I'm not sure. I think, uh, I don't know if you want a couple of minutes maybe to just fix your line and then we can come yeah, back to fine. you. That's fine. You can call me again. That's fine. No? Yeah. Um, so that was Imam Rapeep Sahib, just, Mizza Sahib, just uh, talking about the advent of the truth and the truthfulness of the promised Messiah. Um, yes, indeed, he will be joining us uh, back uh, straight uh, within. We'll be taking him again on the line. Uh, he was mentioning the signs of uh, the promised Messiah, Islam has uh, mentioned in the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and, and other scriptures where there's a, you know, the, the, the uh, signs are there, but it was mentioned slightly differently, and he was giving a true explanation. And, you know, there are some signs which is. When we ponder over them, we actually find out, yes, this is the time. This has been, been discussed uh, you know, by the scripture. And indeed, this was the time when the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, uh, you know, uh, should have been there. Yes, I think we have um, 
Imam Rabi Mirza with us. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and thank you very much for joining us back. I hope is the voice better now? Yes, uh, it is better now. You can uh, continue. Um, so as I was mentioning that when the saviour of the latter days would come, he would come in subordination of the Holy Prophet, the presence of Allah be upon him, and his task would be, alongside reforming the world, would be to unite all of the major religions together. So that's why it's impossible for several saviors to come. One savior was going to come. He was going to um, emulate or imbibe the various different characteristics and traits of the prophets of the past or the saviors that have been mentioned in the various holy scriptures of uh, the different religions. Um, So therefore, our understanding is that Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadiyan, the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, is that savior who had been prophesied, uh, prophesied in um, the various different scriptures of the world. Um, and just in terms of the mission of the Messiah, what does Islam say the mission will be? Now, in terms of uh, the mission of the Messiah, of course, we understand that the whole purpose of a Messiah for coming would be to reform the Muslims. As we know that when Jesus, son of Mary, came, his primary task was to reform the Jews because they had become so extreme in their views that we know that, or hard-heartened, that they did not know anything except for the teaching of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus came and taught them compassion. He taught them clemency. He taught them mercy. Jesus said that if somebody smites you on one cheek, the other cheek. If somebody tries to, you know, take your shirt, give it to him or give him two. So it was going to be the same with the Messiah of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that as we know that the Muslims had not only become uh, extreme to a certain degree in their faith, but also they had distanced uh, distanced, uh, themselves from the pristine and prestigious teachings of Islam. So the mission of the Messiah was to bring back the Muslims towards the right and pristine version of Islam, that Islam does not talk about, uh, you know, killing unjustly. Islam talks about mercy. Islam is a religion of peace. Islam talks about fulfilling the rights of Allah and the rights of mankind. And this is exactly what Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed taught. And it is due to these peaceful teachings that we are witnessing on, you know, an annual basis that so many people are accepting uh, Ahmadiyyat and uh, embracing um, Islam in this manner. So this was the main mission of the Messiah. And in terms of the condition, I know you have sort of pointed on it, but in terms of the condition of the whole world, the Muslims, I think you've pointed on a little bit, but what would be the overall condition of the world around his coming? So again, any time a prophet appears, 
uh, and you know this also needs to be clarified for our viewers as well that we consider Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian to be a prophet of God, of course, in subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. You know, he was not uh, bring a new law, um, and he's not a, a new prophet in, in that sense. He's not a law-bearing prophet. He's only come to revive the teachings of Islam and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So the conditions around the time of his coming, um, we know from the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and from the religious scriptures of the world. For example, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that a time shall come where nothing will remain of Islam except its name, nothing will remain of the Quran except its script. The Holy Prophet said that the mosques will be full, but they will be devoid of guidance. And then he said, that underneath the canopy of the heavens, the scholars of that time will be the worst creatures. And then at another place, the Holy Prophet upon him has stated that Fazatun will descend upon my Ummah. In other words, that there will be discord and dissension. So in order to remove that discord and dissension, the people will go to the ulama, to their scholars. But when they go to them, what will they find? The Holy Prophet has used the word that Qiradatun uh, wa that they will find apes and swine sitting there. In other words, that the moral state of the Muslims at that time will be so regressive that people will begin to abhor their state. And then <clears throat> the Holy Prophet also mentioned that the Christians will be in the majority. And we also know that when the promise prior to when the promised Messiah appeared, the British India was being evangelized. So all of these things, when you look at it, that before Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed came to be the promised Messiah, uh, and even during his time, we see that those conditions were there. They were calling out for a savior that come and uh, you know rectify our condition, reform our condition. And this was the state of, of the Muslims at that time, but when the promised Messiah appeared, then we see that how he rectified those innovations that had crept into Islam, how he reformed the Muslims, how he taught them the true and pristine and peaceful teachings of Islam. You've touched upon a lot of prophecies, but just in terms of, uh, in your opinion, which one of the many prophecies um, do you think stands out and that you'd like to shed a little bit more uh, light upon? Um, of course, you know, the, the, the prophecies that have been mentioned mm. uh, within the Quran and, and by the Holy Prophet, um, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, of course, they, they will always stand out more so um, because we find uh, more detail within them. Um, I think of, out of um, the prophecies that uh, stand out is the, well, in, in my humble opinion, um, which, uh, of course, cannot be interfered by, um, or the hand of man cannot interfere with this particular prophecy. And that is the solar and lunar eclipse. So it's not only been mentioned within the Holy Quran, but it's also been mentioned by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. It's been quoted in the book of Dar Qutni, where the Holy Prophet mentioned that on specific dates in the month of Ramadan, the sun will be eclipsed 
and the moon will be eclipsed. And in 1895, both the Western and uh, Eastern Hemisphere, they witnessed the eclipses of the sun and the moon. And at that time, it was Mirza Ghulam Ahmed who claimed Mahdiship. So this celestial sign, which cannot be um, polluted or poisoned by any human intervention, this is a great prophecy and it is a great sign that has been fulfilled. But again, it's up to the listeners to study this, consider and ponder over whether Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian fits that criteria which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has established and the Holy Quran has established. In terms of the Amdiya Muslim community, how does, how does it look to spread the message of the Promised Messiah that he has now come and uh, what does it look to achieve? The fundamental, as I mentioned, message of the Promised Messiah was that the gap between the Creator and the creation must be removed, that vacuum must be removed. And that's what he sought to do, and that was his uh, you know, paramount um, objective, that was his main mission. And this is what the Ahmadiyya Muslim community seeks to do, they seek to bring mankind back towards his Creator. You know, nowadays, we're witnessing that the world is on the brink of a world war. The egotism and arrogance of certain world leaders is, uh, it seems, it's going to take the world towards its doom. So when leaders become so arrogant and blinded by the egotism, that's a time God Almighty sends his wrath and punishment. But again, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community strives to ensure that the message goes out to everybody, that they should connect with their Creator, they should discharge um, each other's rights, they should live together in harmony, and that's the only way that we're going to establish peace in the world. It's not going to be through inflammatory remarks, it's not going to be through escalating situations, it's not going to be by our vested interests in certain matters. It's not going to be by the absence of injustice. It's not going to be by the absence of, um, you know, lack of loving humanity. It's not going to be achieved in this way. It's only going to be achieved when fundamentally each and every single person recognizes it and thereafter recognizes that not only does God Almighty have rights, but our fellow human beings, we have to discharge of them, and only then when our world come to peace. Very much uh, right, Imam Abim Mirza. One thing, you know, as you mentioned um, regarding the, you know, the signs of the, the coming or the advent of the promised Messiah, Islam, and as you linked up uh, that, of course, the peace is much needed thing, and that's what the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, you know, mentioned that Islam itself is a peace, and it's a religion of peace, and the promised Messiah, Islam, has mentioned this. One of the aspects, you know, um, as we mentioned about the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, as they're spreading the message of the promised Messiah, Islam, and uh, we have the system of Khalifat, of course, within us, which, of course, uh, d- d- doing it, not just spreading the message of Islam and working for uh, having a peace within the world. Would you like to touch something on that as well? Yes, of course, <clears throat> you know, for the past 20 years, the mm-hmm. worldwide head 
the current worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been warning the world of uh, an impending um, World War Three and the risk that another world war could uh, transpire. And in actuality, after being bestowed um, the mantle of, uh, of Caliphate, the third sermon that His Holiness um, delivered spoke about the possibility of another world war. And yet we see that some leaders of the world have become so brazen in their arrogance and their egotism that you know they have become the pharaohs of uh, you know our contemporary times. And it, the the fact of the matter is that we can only um, again pray for world peace. And the only way that we are going to achieve this uh, again is through praying to God Almighty. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, recognizing our creator and uh, recognizing the fact that our fellow human beings have rights that we need to fulfill. That's the only way that uh, we can come to world peace. And this is what the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been advocating for the past uh, 20 years or so. Again, do not become despondent uh, over the foolishness and uh, arrogance and ignorance of, of certain world leaders. Um, we know that ultimately, uh, if peace is going to come to the world, it's going to be through prayer. It's not going to be by um, bombarding, um, you know, certain countries. It's not going to be by indiscriminately killing uh, people and unjustly um, killing people in the name of, of religion. It's only going to be done when we pray together for peace, and only then will the world come to peace when we recognize that we have to live together, we have to work together, and we have to pray for one another. Jazakallah. Um, thank you very much, uh, Imam Rabib Mirza Saib. Jazakallah. Thank you so much for having me. Mm, again, thank you very much for joining us today. Again, that was Imam Rabib Mirza Saib um, joined us and gave a very insightful talk. If you would like to get involved, uh, and voice your opinion, then the number is 020-8687-7878. Or alternatively, uh, you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK, or you can visit the website www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Uh, indeed, um, you can call us. I think it would be good, and we you know, uh, would love to hear from you as well uh, as the, on the number given to you. You know, we were discussing before we had this guest um, who has discussed uh, this topic in depth. We're discussing, you know, that the sun rising from the West, uh, you know, sometimes may seem impossible event. Uh, as the promised Messiah, uh, on whom peace has mentioned, that uh, there would be a time when Western people accepting Islam. So, again, you know, this was a prophesized by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, 1400 years ago. And the companions of the Holy Prophet were discussing the last hour when he came and asked them what they, are, they were doing. So he said there would be 10 signs before the end of the world will come to pass. So he said then he then you know, went on to mentioning the smoke, the Antichrist, the beast, the rising of the sun from the west, the, descent, you know, the coming back of Jesus, son of Mary, Gog Magog and three eclipses one in the east and one in the west and one in the Arabia. 
Scientists have discovered evidence that Earth, you know, magnetic poles have reversed many times and last one took place some 780,000 years ago. Some, uh, you know, uh, journalists believe that next shift could be less than a thousand years away. This information was not available to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, when he made the prophecies. So again, it's indeed told by God Almighty and that's what he, you know, mentioned. All those things we see in the saying, uh, in, in, in his sayings. The promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, alayhi salam alayhi be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya community explaining this event, wrote in his book, Removal of Doubts, which is Azala Oham, he says, I certainly believe in the rising of the sun from the west. That said, it is, it has been disclosed to me in a vision that the meaning of this rising of the sun from the west is that the western countries, which from ancient times have been you know, enveloped in the darkness of disbelief and error, will be illumined by the sun of truth and will partake of Islam. This was revealed to him by God and the Holy Prophet had said that even if the entire world came to believe on that day, it would not benefit them and the doors of repentance would be closed. The promised Messiah, on whom be peace, went on to this and explained the doors of repentance will close does not mean that repentance will not be accepted. The meaning is that when the people of Western nations enter Islam in you know, droves, at that time a great revolution in religion shall occur. And when the sun of Islam rises, it rises in its fullest sense, only those people shall be deprived of Islam from whom the doors of repentance have closed, whose inner nature are utterly unsuited for accepting Islam. So in, this, in the same vision, he related that he is standing and, you know, pulpit in London, you know, setting forth the truth of Islam in the English language. He then caught a civil white, you know, partages that had been sitting on same trees. He interpreted this vision in the following words. He said, I interpret this vision as a meaning that though I would not be able to travel to that country, my writings will be published among them and many righteous English people will be attracted. And as he just truth. mentioned about the prophecy, yeah. as he just did mention about the prophecy, sorry for cutting you off, um, that he caught several white partages that had been sitting on some trees. There's actually a documentary by MTA on this as yeah, well. Yeah, very true. Um, which is quite a good watch as well. Um, if Where we people to. you know ex accepted Islam Ahmadiyya, then it was, it's not something we are discussing. Or we were mentioning about a year or two years back. It's been a good few years where, you know, English people accepted Islam and they understood and they they you know believed in him. And now I met those, they are very firm in their beliefs, just because they have found the truth. And this prophecy again, it it did come true because the promises are uh, his son, mm. uh, the second caliph, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad. Um, he actually, when he came to London in 1924, his speech on Islam was read out at the World Conference of Religions, mm. and that was a fulfillment of it. And then in uh, 1984, the grandson, the you know the fourth caliph of the MDM Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad. Uh, made eloquent speeches in English on the beauties of Islam. Ninety years after the first conference of world religions in uh, February 2014, the great-grandson of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, the Prophet and the founder of the MDM Muslim community, um, 
uh, that was the fifth caliph. Um, he continued this work and gave keynote addresses in uh, London's uh, Guildhall in English as well. Yes. Yeah, very much right. You know, one of the things, the reason we're discussing this is very important. Sometimes, you know, we, dis- we, we this, this question can come up in our mind, the need of the Imam, why there's a need of the promised Messiah. When we look in the entire history of this world, God has sent his prophets to different time, different areas to tell people that there is one God and show the way that your God is a living God. And that's why it was prophesied. Not even in Islam, it was in many religions. They're still waiting for it. Where they believe that Messiah will come and once again, you know, he will reunite us to to to, to God Almighty. And I think that's an important thing. And that's something that our guest touched upon as well. Because no matter what religion you're uh, of, um, any major religion, they're all waiting for the same being Many to come. Religions, yes. uh, so in, in, in actual fact, once you believe in the promised Messiah, it will actually unite those beliefs. And it doesn't matter which religion you're from, this is a topic which is directly related to you. Yeah. The, the beauty of Islam, you know, we need to understand there are religion they believe on, particularly for the, for only on, on that religion, if somebody's Christian, they believe on Jesus um, and then mm. uh, peace be upon him. And then if it's, you know, Jew, he believes on Moses and then, you know, Abraham, of course. And Hindus, they are believing on their uh, prophets. But Islam, the beauty of Islam is it gives you the explanation that all prophets are from God Almighty. Mm-hmm. It's from the same stream. And the last low-bearing prophet is the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and the promised Messiah, which he came because as the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, prophesied there will be another prophet to, you know, once again bring... Uh, you know, uh, to revive to, the to revive the, revive so, the teaching of Islam, yeah. or to rev- or you know to to present the teaching once again to front of people that that's how you can connect to God Almighty. That's what you need yes. to do to live a life which is you know which God Almighty want from us. So it's just the same teaching of the Holy Prophet, peace that's, be upon that's him. That's why Islam, you know, that's, yeah. that's why Islam believe in all the prophets because it's, it's they are coming from the same stream. It's not something different than the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, or the Promised Messiah, Mirza Ghulam, as we're discussing. From the very beginning, from the Adam till the Promised Messiah, as people are waiting for Messiah, they are from the same stream. They are from God Almighty. That's why Islam, you know, not encourages, it's something compulsory on every Muslim to Hmm. believe on all prophets and all the books given to the different religion because God has sent the, you know, different prophets in different times. It was a need of time, a prophet was sent. But the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was sent for the entire world, yeah. for the entire, you know, living people on this. And then the Messiah, which was mentioned in the different scriptures, he has to be for the entire world as well, to reunite everybody under one flag. And that's what we do uh, when we believe on the promised Messiah, Mirza Ghulam Sahib, peace be upon him. Um, and, and, and he united everybody. And and by the grace of God Almighty, we see, you know, in our annual uh, convention that many people around the world, regardless from different kind of, uh, you know, different countries, different uh, race, they are coming together and taking the initiation on the hand of the Khalif. You know, a lot can be said. You know, I would just want to touch that what different religious faith waiting for the religious personality in the latter days, all, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Hindus waiting for advent of the Neha Kalank Avatar foretold in their scriptures, Christians waiting for the appearance of the Messiah or second coming of Jesus, Mus- you know, Muslims waiting for Mahdi and Messiah as we believe as a Ahmadiyya Muslim community that he has come and we have accepted him. And, you know, uh, 
he has shown us once again that how we can you know uh, connect to god almighty and he reminded us that these are these are the teachings which pleases god almighty uh, many things can be said but i i'll move on you know uh, guru banana predicted the advent of the great reformer if all reformers come will be conflict and this is, this is something needs to be understood you know if somebody say okay no everybody have a different reformer then what would happen they will end up with a fight because yes. everybody say he's true he's not this gives understanding because we are going to the last 100000 years of 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 this uh, th- 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 this world and it has to be someone who unites everybody under one flag under the flag of god almighty if we discuss buddhism you know they, they believe in matira buddhism started almost 6 centuries before christianity but it is believed that it laid the foundations of christian teachings buddha is believed to be born from the side of virgin and these factors influence christianity mentioned this is 4th century bc the materia is the buddha buddhista who is the buddhist tradition will appear on earth and achieve complete in enlightenment and teach the pure religion he will be a successor to the sukhamani buddha the founder of buddhism the materia will appear in the future when the world will be in misery and decline also when all the teachings of buddha have completely decayed he will come he will come to provide salvation and peace to the world you know when we look in the different religion we know that somebody gonna come and the time is this this the time you know i would say already there already passed but people are still waiting for it and it's only one messiah who's claimed to be messiah and god fulfilled the signs which was presented by the different uh you know different scriptures different religion as they are waiting for them it was fulfilled in 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 Mirza Ghulam Ahmad on whom be peace and especially the signs which was given by the holy prophet peace be upon him was fulfilled uh in, in the in the advent of the of the promised messiah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and especially you know the solar lunar eclipse it was mentioned that it will be the long long uh, solar and lunar eclipse will happen and it happened when he said the uh, Mirza Ghulam has said this god will show the sign for me Of course, and I think a caller touched on that as well. Indeed, um, and also I, I personally, I think uh, Jews is another thing, especially because of you know what's going on nowadays. In Judaism, actually, the word Messiah comes from the Hebrew word which translates to Anointed One, hmm. and his qualities are mentioned in the Book of Jeremiah, in the Tanakh, uh, and it and it goes as saying, "The days are coming," declares the Lord, "when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign." wisely and that's in Jeremiah 23:5 Jews believe that the Messiah will come to the earth to bring a time of perfect peace and prosperity called the messianic age the messiah must possess certain qualities um he'll be human of human parents and have a human birth uh, a perfect teacher of god's law a great political leader inspirational and a good judge able to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem rule over humanity but he will rule with kindness again he will rule with rule with kindness to bring off peace to the world i think that's something that we touched upon before as well that we're all waiting and if we had different um everyone had different messiahs coming that wouldn't really bring peace that would just bring more conflicts and more more issues so then we need someone who can unite all of them as one and you know the teachings and and the signs which were mentioned is more or less same all the religion even though they believe on different messiah or buddha mm. or you know but the signs are nearly the same which says that that's how it is going to be that's how the state of the world going to be that's how the 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 messiah you know would be facing 
and we can I think we'll have we should have another show on this we'll be discussing exactly what different religion are waiting and but indeed of course it cannot be covered today but i would say one thing you know people who claim to be messiah at the time when it was time according to the islam hmm. there was a five people you know uh, who who said that they they are messiah in 19th century one was mahdi of sudan then was alexander dawi of you know zion then joseph smith of the mormon church ali muhammad bab or babullah of bahai faith and mirza ghulam of qadian and one of the prominent name and the sign will fulfilled and the the messiah who has a community is only the islam ahmadiyat and we see they are there more in more than 200 countries and every single day they are you know people are accepting the promised messiah because indeed he is a, a messiah from god almighty a true true messiah which everybody is waiting for now of course at the end of the show mm. uh usman if you could finish yeah now we're at the point now where it's the saddest time uh, thank you very much to everyone for joining us i'd like to thank the panelists the co-host and all the listeners for joining us um and at this point i think until next time assalamu alaikum may peace and blessings of allah be upon you